All right, good morning, everybody. This is from the War Room to the Boardroom Podcast. I'm your host, Mason Wilson, Global Business Strategy and Operations at Policy at Google, combat veteran, Duke MBA, and West Pointer. Today, we have my guest, uh, Omar T. Ritter, a CPA, CGMA. He and I will be discussing his uh, transition, both out of the military and then into finance, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and then to executive leadership. Omar Ritter is a senior VP of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Wells Fargo. After time as a corporate finance executive, investment banker, Calvary officer and West Point outreach officer. He's a graduate of both West Point and Columbia University's business school. And so without further delay, Omar Ritter. Hey, Mashan. So, hey, thanks a lot for having me on, on your podcast. I, I watched a couple of them. So very interesting to one, uh, be here and also like share my story, you know, with other folks that are trying to like build a path and, and get towards a journey. And obviously like I'm on a journey as well. So like it hasn't stopped, like the journey just continues to move. So, so who am I, right? I'm from a small town in, in Somerville called Somerville, South Carolina. Father was in the, in the army. Mother was a, was a teacher. I went to five different high schools uh, growing up. Uh, so I knew I wanted to be in the army. My dad was also Calvary. So I knew I wanted to be, you know, Calvary for, for sure. So like that was a no-brainer to me. So I wasn't on this big discovery about West Point. What they were presenting me wasn't something amazing. I actually had talked to a couple of West Pointers when I was a junior uh, in high school, you know, to go down that 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 path. Right at, at West Point, the, the the one thing that I that I always tried to do, and I and I knew from the beginning because I'm a prep school guy as well as that. Look, I'm not the smartest guy in the room uh, whatsoever. Nor nor do I try to be. So like if you came today to hear some big fancy words, you are going to hear them, right? I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to speak from the heart and just tell you about my journey. So, you know, upon graduating from the academy, like I said, I wanted to be a Cav Scout, became a Cav Scout, started for division, went straight to um, to Kosovo. While we're in Kosovo doing K- K4, 3 Alpha, basically patrolling the streets of Kosovo, arresting people with weapons, et cetera, et cetera. That's where I like really honed my, my, my leadership skills somewhat, uh, which was more of like a, a friendlier servant leader as opposed to do what I say because I say it more of, hey, could you do what I say because we actually need to get the get the work done? And when we're done, like I give you some time off or or whatever, right? So obviously towers fell September 11th. We came back from, from Kosovo and got ready to third ID to, to fight. Um, you know, lo and behold, I continued training End up, I was started off as a tank platoon leader, then ended up, uh, you know, joining uh, Charlie One Cav, which was a division uh, brigade scouts, um, you know, for the third ID. And we ended up going to Iraq. You know, I, I was there on day one, fighting to the border. Uh, I saw everything fall down uh, in Baghdad, got a bronze star uh, for gallantry in combat, came back from, you know, Iraq. Went straight back to West Point to be uh, in, in diversity outreach. So that's really where my diversity, you know, piece started. At. So, minority admissions officer traveled uh, a lot, you know, trying to bring in some more, you know, qualified, underrepresented folks uh, to West Point. I would say we did, did a great job. The best boss I ever had is Gaylord Green. Uh, I know him as Major Gaylord Green. He's Lieutenant Colonel, uh, retired Gaylord Green. I think he's at the Citadel, uh, you know, right now, um, you know, working as an executive in their sports program. Just a good, 
solid dude. So I learned a lot about leadership from 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 Gaylord, right? So uh, I really appreciate that that brother. So when I was at you know doing admissions, one of the things that happened to me is I had a brain tumor, you know, of all things. So I had to have um, 18 hours of emergency brain surgery. Uh, when that happened, it was kind of like up in the air. I didn't really know what I was going to do. I already started studying for the GMAT. I had taken the GMAT. I applied to a few business schools, but didn't really know what I was going to do, um, you know, with that. So I had the brain surgery. Obviously, couldn't be a scout anymore. Didn't really want to, you know, have a job while I was pushing papers for the next, you know, 15, 20 years, at least in the Army. You know, again, got into uh, Columbia Business School and was really said, I'm going to go full time in this business school once I got retired, uh, you know, from the military. Didn't know what I wanted to do. Had no clue what I wanted to do at business school or post-business school. So how did I choose my career initially? So my first career out of business school was iBanker. I went to some of the sessions. Chase, J.P. Morgan Chase had a session, Bank of America. This is 2005. So think about like the hottest time on, on Wall Street. They were holding events at Columbia. And I said, man, like, who has the nicest suits? That's like the career that I want to be in, right? I want to be in this. I want to be a career where like, you know, because back in 20, 2005, man, like suits were a big thing, right? Nowadays, if you wear a suit, people are like, why the hell you got a suit on? But back then it was like, yeah. you got the nice suit, you know? So didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. Ended up networking, you know, with uh, investment bankers. Ended up getting a job. At, at Bank of America and, and iBanking. And I got to throw a shout out to Joe Beard because I was ill-prepared to be anybody's investment banker. That brother came down to my apartment in New York, lived in the same building, woke me up at 6 a.m. and just started drilling me uh, on interview questions. So I, I got to thank him, right? Like it's always about like having uh, a mentor that's actually going to do things uh, for you and help you uh, where, where you know know you're weak, right? So started my career journey there. So let me let me pause there, Ms. Shaw, because I want this to be more of a conversation. Most definitely. No, you gave us a lot of great nuggets. And so you kind of focused it in your transition. You made that transition from kind of outreach. And so I guess I'd like to focus a little bit more on your your path in corporate. And so one kind of what do you do now? And what are kind of their experiences that you needed to have to get there? And for those of us that haven't made the transition are still like veterans figuring out what is in the corporate space, what does an SVP really do? And what does diversity, equity, inclusion look like in corporate America or at Wells Fargo compared to, say, EEO or, you know, other things that we see in the military? Okay. So I'm going to stay very high level because I cannot be a spokesperson uh, for, for Wells Fargo, right? I haven't signed any, any legal documents really? uh, to do that. But, you know, like in my in my role today, if you can imagine like these big companies, Walmart, Chase, Google, et cetera, like they, they really want to, you know, have inclusive workplace environment. And you say like, why, why do they want to have that, right? Well, well, the reason why they want to have it is it's a, it's a big return uh, on, on investment, right? I, I don't like to talk about the touchy, um, Philly stuff because, like, if you're not already realizing that you need to be diverse, equitable, and inclusive, then, like, I'm not going to teach you that at, you know, a company, like, via your heart. Like, it's just going to be impossible, right? Like, you, it's just not ingrained in you, right? So what, what I like to focus on is really, like, the financial impact. Right. Like, for example, these major companies, 
if you're doing business in every city, every state in the United States and overseas, and you're taking people's money, then it's like, how dare you take people's money? Their money is good enough for you to take, but they're not good enough to work for your company. Like, where, where would that at? Like, that's not fair, right? So I start with that conversation. Number one, that's not fair. Number two, diversity of thought. If you don't have a, a diverse workforce, like, you know, you're, you're losing the diversity of thought, right? It's just the same people in the room with the same ideas, yada, yada, yada. So that's going to cost you uh, in the long run. Like you won't, your company, you know, won't be around. But then like, let's go, let's take it another, another way and say, oh, by the way, did you know every time an employee leaves your company because you don't have a belonging and inclusive culture, it costs us X amount of dollars to hire recruiters to spend time recruiting. And now your executives, managers, et cetera, have to waste their time interviewing new folks to bring them on board just so you can do that again because you're not inclusive, right? So when you think about it from uh, a talent retention standpoint, the dollars just make sense, right? Like you have to um, take this stuff seriously or it affects the bottom line. That makes sense. So what's the business case for diversity, impact, right. impact resources and turnover for your employees? Now, that makes a lot of sense. And so can you talk a little bit about the path to get there? You were kind of elaborating on that earlier, but specifically like what education is required and what experiences, especially for veterans that are trying to figure out there's a buffet of opportunities that are out there. What could I do and how do I navigate that process? So, you know, that's a that's a good question, man. Like I could I could tell you to read a bunch of like, you know, books on your on your chosen career field, but really like there's one book that I want to share with you because like I I'm not a book reading type of dude, right? So this book, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, right? You need to know how to work and partner you know, with, with different types of folks, right? You need to know when it's time to, to step back and it's time to lead. When it's time to be friendly, when it's time to drop the work, right? This book has been around for 80 plus years and there's a lot of golden nuggets in there about that. Now, as for like my transition, my career path, I could I could speak for, for hours about that, but I won't do that to your, your listeners. Well, what I would say is this, you need to have flexibility and you need to be able to, you know, turn yourself into what's needed for the job. So let me give you an example. So I started off at iBanking after I graduated business school in 2007. What happened in 2008? Market got crushed. Lehman Brothers got shut down. Bear Stearns shut down. Merrill Lynch acquired by um, Bank of America. You know, and then let's talk about all the, all the mortgage-backed securities companies that got folded up. And, and just the mortgage-backed securities, like, package is what, what caused it all. But then all the mortgage companies uh, got folded up um, when, you, when you think about those. And so what, what happened? Um, it was the, the strongest line in the jungle is the line that's going to continue to eat. And so what happened is Goldman Sachs, um, you know, all the real investment banker players, they put a lot of universal banks to bed. And it was also, if you're at a universal bank like I was, the, the strongest 
money earners stayed. And if you weren't earning money, you left. And unfortunately, I was on the team of a non-earner. So like we all got kicked to the curb, right? Like we did. We got kicked to the curb. And like what I didn't do is sit around and, and whine about it. What what I did is start networking uh, with some folks that I that I just you know met like during you know random times. Like somebody might have been on an airplane, somebody might have been on the airport. Uh, you know, LinkedIn wasn't that strong back then. And said, hey, can you get me in front of a like recruiter? And so when I got off with the recruiter, I had to sell my story. So I ended up uh, going to work for the Koch brothers uh, in Wichita, Kansas. And I was in some back office building M&A models for all kinds of random deals uh, that Koch was, brothers were doing because there were so many businesses that were under and, and Koch was just acquiring anything. Anything from toilet tissue makers to rug makers to natural gas makers, whatever. They were they were buying up everything and they needed some strength in the back office uh, to really make those M&A models. Right. So and so I was really able to hone that skill of being like, you know, a top player like and, and Excel. Once the market opened up, obviously, I was like, I can't stay in Wichita, Kansas. Like, that's not feasible for me and the things that I like to do. Right. Like. It's not feasible. It's very hard to get to Miami. It's it's really hard to get to, to New York. And it's like, you got to take two connecting flights, uh, right? And and look, overall, it's just depressing. Like, I'm not a cowboy, right? <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm just not. And so uh, the first opportunity I got, I took a job in Boston, which was great uh, for me. And at that time, what the company needed, they needed, account- they needed more accountants. So I went and got my CPA license, right? And I plugged myself right into the corporate finance office, started uh, in accounting, learned what I needed to learn, and then did, um, you know, FP&A work. And at that point was really where I, where I transitioned more into like senior management this is back in like 2012, uh, which was pretty, pretty quick. I went to a company called Praxair, now Lindy, and I, I came in as a director of M&A for a, a good piece of, of North America. So I was just traveling across for this company you know, executing, you know, M&A deals. And eventually um, I went to do uh, FP&A. And now this is, this is interesting. So when I was in Boston, I worked at a company called Boston Scientific. The HR leader was uh, a guy named Skip Spriggs, who was also the CEO of the Executive Leadership Council, which is where all the top Fortune 500 CEOs and one downs that are African-American go to enhance their career. So Skip happened to be, the, um, the head of HR at Boston Scientific. And they said, hey man, like he needs this project done from finance, like can somebody spend some hours on it? And I was like, well, I'll do it. So I did it, I got to know Skip, he left, and I'll come back to that in a second. After he left, like I left to go do this, um, this M&A thing, did that for a few years, I get a call from a company called you know, TIA Craft. So I go to TIA Crep, and my job at TIA Crep was actually like, um, you know, executive board materials planning. Like I like when they when the TIA leaders were going to talk to the board, like I would make the materials. Like I was the PowerPoint dude. Like that's that's what I did. I had a team. We did the board materials. Uh, we also did the board financial reporting, and then that rolled into me being the um, the head of corporate FPNA at TIA. Which, you know, this is a multi, you know, billion, trillion dollar with one trillion in assets at the time. And, and little on me, I'm doing like all the reporting for it, which 
look, man, I was working like 14, 15 hours a day. I was grinding. But the way that I got this job was, lo and behold, the HR leader of TIA was Skip Spriggs. So when I'm interviewing, I'm like, hey, man, like, you know, Skip Spriggs, like, you know, him and I, like, you know, I've done some work for him. And then, like, they would just send him an email, like, dude, vouch for him. And they're like, oh, like, okay, so we know this dude is tight. So let's let's bring him on uh, and give him a run. So did that, ended up getting a call from J.P. Morgan Chase. When J.P. Morgan Chase calls, you answer, right? Like, that's just kind of like how it goes. And they wanted me to come in and be a, a, a tech finance person. Didn't know anything about tech, new finance, had to learn everything tech, um, you know, especially at the time, big agile transformations were starting to go on versus the waterfall method. So I need to learn about agile and how my team can help influence that. So, you know, one of the um, people that I work for is the, the, the technology CFO uh, for a gentleman who had an organization of like 1,500 people. And I managed both his headcount uh, and, uh, and his financials. Uh, and, and it was cool, um, you know, for, for for quite some time. But the way things play out in corporate, it's not always smooth. Got a new boss. Like, we didn't really see eye to eye. She's the boss. I'm not. I'm on the outs, right? And so I was literally on the outs. So, you know, left there, went to a place called Conduit, where I was the CFO of a, of a customer experience management division with 25,000 employees. Now, that sounds really cool. But in fact, I was the CFO of a call center. Like literally, it was a call center in Guatemala, right? So like the call centers, in, you know, the call center, I'm in the US, I'm the CFO. The call centers in Guatemala is 25,000 employees. Margins are slim. Very big companies are hitting our margins. And I'm just trying to get us profitable. So I'm going to tell you how small like networks are. I get there. I get through the interview process. I had a buddy that worked there named Mike Burns. I thought this dude was the head diversity officer, the chief diversity officer for the company. Lo and behold, I get there. This dude's the president of that division. So I ended up being his CFO, you know, for a little while, like six, seven, eight months. And we did the whole COVID transition, worked at home. Mike is a phenomenal leader. He was able to, you know, get those 25,000 agents home, not lose any clients because of that, you know, yada, yada. But here's the thing. As excellent as Mike was, nobody wanted to give him his flowers because he was moving too fast. And like folks couldn't handle that, right? They didn't want to see Mike become like the next CEO of the company. So everybody's elbow on their way. Um, and so, you know, Mike ends up leaving, starting Burns Brothers, which is very successful. And I'm and I'm really proud of him, right? And and that brings me to a point. Like Mike and I are classmates, but you know what? Like Everybody can't be the CEO. Some of us have to play the number two position. Some of us have to play like the number three position and support. And like, that's what I did. Like I, I supported Mike, Mike left. We got a new person came in with me and this new person. It was all oil and, and water, right? It was just bad. Like it wasn't, it wasn't good. And so it wasn't good for a few reasons. I was the CFO. I'm trying to show this guy the, the financials and why we're now not profitable because he's getting rid of people that are making X and hiring people that make X plus Y. Like we're a small business. 99% of the company is Guatemalan based. Like you can't just go out and hire your buddies from big financial institutions and think that the financials are going to be clean. They're not. 
And so like, he didn't want to hear the truth. I had to tell the truth to our auditors, PwC, et cetera, and sign documents, right? And so I knew that this wasn't going to be a long-term play for me. Uh, but lo and behold, some of the networks that I established at other firms led me to come to, you know, Wells Fargo, where I'm currently, you know, uh, director of diversity, equity, and inclusion, SVP. Uh, but I started in tech finance. But the way I got there, and I'll, and I'll try to close this out, is by volunteering my time to mentor, recruit, uh, and retain diverse talent at, at the company, right? So I spent a lot of time going to conferences, as you know, uh, Miss Sean, like on my own time, while still also uh, delivering from my day job. And I was like, dude, like, why not make this a day job? So I had a couple conversations, got a couple interviews, and then lo and behold, like, here I am. Hmm. That's, that's very helpful. So if I understand you correctly, one, kind of thriving where you're in, two, have flexibility of different opportunities that are out there, three, kind of really leveraging the network and leaning into that discomfort, and then four, kind of knowing what are the signs to kind of move somewhere else or move on to the next opportunity, if I got that right. And so uh, kind of along those lines, can you talk a little bit about the difference between education versus going after some of these like certifications? Because it's not often that I meet too many MBAs that have you know, a CPA or go after a CFA or all these other certifications. Can you talk about that thought process and how that factors into the corporate world when you're trying to figure that out? Yeah, so 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 here's the deal, right? Like, and, I, and I, I'm going to talk from like a, a, a military perspective, and then I, and then I'll talk from a African American perspective, right? So from a from a military perspective, like there's a lot of people that have MBAs. There's a lot of people, like, and it doesn't like, and, and they get them from a lot of different schools. There's a lot of people that don't have MBAs that rise to the top, right? And so. Like for me, like getting the, getting the MBA was just to, you know, submit that, you know, I was smart and I was capable of learning and that, you know, I at least wanted to touch the tip of the iceberg on some, on some, on some new skill sets. But also the thing about, you know, going to MBA full time is that it's like the one time in your career where a bunch of companies come to come see you and they set up like booths and stuff for you to come talk to them. Like after... After you know business school, that doesn't really happen. I mean, like, yeah, you have your service academy conferences and all that, all, all those things. They're trying to plug you into a job, right? It's not like you trying to figure out what career is right for you um, at, at a certain salary level that's just not really attainable if you go the traditional, you know, route. Not not working for somebody else's company, like you know, working for your uncle's, like, you know, big mega company, you can do it that way. But like traditionally, MBAs, you know, they, you know, the top schools are just going to end up interviewing for positions that are already at executive level compensation for most people, even though they aren't yet executives. Right. So that's like the military MBA. Right. Just trying to prove that, like, I'm, I'm coachable from an African-American perspective. Listen, like they're just not going to put you in the accounting department as an African-American. Most of the time, if you don't have a CPA, like it's just not going to happen. And then what will happen if they do do that, it's going to be a blocker from you moving up in said department. So what I like to do is let me do my work to remove like blockers that are going to stop me 
um, you know, from at least getting close to the glass ceiling. Like, we ain't all going to touch the glass ceiling, but at least I can get close to it uh, and make a case for myself, right? And, and certifications, there's a thing, man, they're hard. Like, they take away from your personal time. And so you actually have to study and you have to get a certain level of excellence to, like, achieve that CPA, CFA, SPHR, PM, like whatever it is, like you, you have to test out to get that. And so people can't, can't take that from you. They can't just say, Hey man, you got that CPA because you're African American, African American. No, I didn't do that. I had to test for this. <laughs> right. Like you didn't get that. You got that CPA. They can't say you got that CPA because you're a veteran. Actually, no, I, I had to test for this. Right. And it was like four tests that I had to score a certain percentage on that. Oh, by the way, like, 70% of the people that start don't ever finish. And so there are various certifications you have to take, like your series six, your series, what, 63, 73, and- Yeah, series seven, series 63. I mean, it cha- the, name, the, the numbers change as time goes on, but, but yeah, for investment banker, you gotta, you gotta, I forgot about that test. Yeah, that's a, yet another test you gotta take. And, and here's the deal, like, what they tell you is, hey, listen, and they tell your whole classes, white, black, Asian, doesn't matter. Like, you have a job and you have 90 days to take these tests and pass them. Should you not? I'll see you later. Like, goodbye. So you'd say similar to like gunner and certifications back when you were an officer, something like that. Yeah. I mean, listen, like, I, I don't want to paint the picture for anybody that it's sweet out here. Like, it's not sweet out here. Right. Like, if you want to work and you want to secure the bag, like, you, you got to work, man. Like it, it, it just like no one's just going to walk up to you one day and say, hey, man, like you want to be the CFO of this organization? Hey, you want to be the president of this division? Ain't going to happen. Right. Like and that's fine. You know, but like if, if that's not what you're what you're what you're seeking, like there's nothing wrong with being like the number two, the number three, like building a small team, um, you know, you no, know, et cetera. Like you like I, I guess the advice that I'll Give, and I know you didn't ask me this, but like everybody's shouldn't have a goal of being the chief operate, you know, the chief of something, right? Like that, there's only there's only so there's so few of those roles, and everybody wants them, right? Those people that have them, there's some amazing people. Like Elliot Rogers is an amazing dude, like highly intelligent. A lot of people are not on his level. The majority of us are not, me included, right? It is what it is. Like Angelo Adams, president of Zipcar. I worked in admissions with the guy. He is a great, phenomenal person, leader. You throw him in any country, he's going to get along with anybody and just make businesses thrive. Right. I saw that. And so, you know, you got to, you got to, you got to be happy for those folks. You got to give them the roses. You don't have to like try to compete with them to be them. You got to just be your own boss. Kind of adopting a, a more non-linear path that not everybody's going to make to an officer, not everybody's going to make to the C-suite, and kind of like finding where's that niche for you in the corporate space. If I got that right, um, right? Because here's, here's the thing: like this thing is called war room to the boardroom, right? Dude, you can you don't have to be the CEO of a company to get on a corporate board. You just have to have like a very unique skill set that's going to help a smaller company, um, you know, succeed. And you and you need to be able to sell what that is. No, that's, that makes sense. And so kind of along those lines, kind of going back, right? You've you've made this phenomenal transition. You've kind of figured out your way through 
kind of corporate finance up to executive levels. For those people that are just trying to figure out that transition point, you mentioned kind of your last job in the military was in outreach and kind of figuring out that path. So one, how did you know it was time to leave? And then two, I guess, how did you go about that process? Because I know, right, often when you've advised me and like younger folks, you know, you've given us kind of the playbook. What did it look like for you kind of forging that path? What were you thinking? Oh, man. So, so look, once I once I had the brain surgery, I knew I was gonna gonna get out, right? Obviously, like you gotta take care of the, the, the VA stuff, right? So from day one, I was all over that. Like, um, you know, that was like that was like the first thing I, I read, like how to how to navigate this, right? Because it wasn't it wasn't easy uh back then in um in 0405 to to navigate that, you know, that's number one. Number two, because I didn't like know what I wanted to to do. I mean, dude, I, re- I pulled up a bunch of like Newsweek magazines and I'm, I'm going to be quite honest with y'all. I was looking at what business schools people made the most money from, like on average. And I was like, I need to go there. Right. And then it was like, OK, out of these schools, like who do I know? Right. And and, you know, from my perspective, like there were just a lot of folks that had come to West Point, worked in admissions and and gone to, you know, Columbia Business School, at least enough that I could reach out to. I mean, I could, there's just a bunch like John Hampton, Thaddeus Underwood, Westfield, like there's just a bunch of like folks. And and, and look, the very first one was was Colonel Urban Smith. So like, let me give him his flowers because like he was the one that got everybody in and started the train. And then like the rest of us were kind of like, you know, fast followers. Um, at least, right? So figured out like where, where I wanted to like uh, go to school and then just attack that, man. Like what kind of fellowships can I get? Uh, let me get my mouthpiece straight so I can interview. And, and, and it was, again, like it was not easy, right? Because I, like me being a country boy, like I wanted to talk about the army and all the things that I did. And I can remember one time I was at a, um, was at a conference and I was hanging out and I had my suit on my medals on and I was like man somebody's gonna hire me just because I'm in the military so I'm talking to these guys John John Hampton walks up to me asked me like hey Omar he's like so man like let me let me hear your pitch so I give him my pitch about like you know this military thing and he's like man listen man nobody wanna hear that he's like you know like I'm serious he's like dude you can walk out of here you can walk out of this conference like with no offers you need to go back and study so I put my head between my legs, said, yes, sir. Went back to my hotel room, worked on my mouthpiece for the next like eight hours. And then the next day I came out and I was fresh and I was able to like land a couple things. Right. So, you know me, man, I'm going to, I'm going to keep it like 100% real and tell the truth. Right. And, and, and the guys that, you know, mentored me, like they told me the truth, like, did it hurt my feelings? Yeah. Yeah. John Hampton, like you hurt my feelings, but like, look, now we're peers at Wells Fargo, right? Like, um, you know, so like we just had, um, dinner a couple of weeks ago. Love the guy. Right. So the, the same as like, you know, Joe Barrett and all those other guys, like I, I appreciate them telling me I was raggedy when I truly was raggedy. Now um, I remember those conversations when I was getting ready for business school. You're like, don't say that. That sounds stupid. And then two, you're like, <laughs> make sure you balance out your experiences, right? Between like military and other developmental stuff. So it's not just military, military. And so I, I've kept that in mind as well as the, the breath pause. Those right. 
just know me the nuggets. And so kind of along that line, uh, what did you jump straight into business school after service? Um, a lot of these programs that I'm thinking of probably didn't exist, but you know, if any of those that you used, can you think of any? So funny thing, right? Like I went straight after after the uh after the military. I, I you know, I was like Gaylord Green was my boss and I was doing the admissions thing and I actually had moved down uh to Harlem to take some time and understand the city a bit before I say understand it. I, I moved down there to party in the city, okay? I was trying to understand the city. <laughs> like for me to say I moved down there to understand the city sounds 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 way more than what it was, right? And so I moved down to the to the city. I was I was still doing um, the the job, um, you know, in, in admissions until until I rolled off. But I was going to go straight into um, into into B school. Like just I, I didn't I didn't have a have a, like a pause in between. Were there any like fellowships? Because I know there were like there. Are oh few- yeah, I'm sorry. That was the second part of the the second part of the question. Um, I, I, I'm not gonna lie to you. I was thinking about all the club that I did in New York City, like prior to like going to business school. It was a great time. Like to be young is great. I wish I could be young again. Unfortunately, I'm an old dude now. But I just, you know, very little kid. Yeah, right. Like I just had the baby all morning on my lap, right? Uh, which I enjoyed thoroughly, like more than clubbing. Yes, there were plenty of fellowships, man. And this is why I I went. I chose investment banking. Overall, like pre, like I still didn't know what I want to do when I was at school, as I said before, but I was focused on investment banking initially because all the investment banks were giving out fellowships uh, to minorities. So it was like, we'll pay for your first year of school. You come in to the to the to the bank for your summer internship. You 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 become a lights out player. We'll pay for the rest of your uh, business school and give you an offer. Right. So it was like, we'll do something for you. You do something for us. If we like what you do for us, we'll do something else for you. If we don't like it, we won't do anything else for you. Get off of our books, right? So interview for a bunch of those. So let me tell you something hilarious about those, right? So Andrew Glaze is my classmate at, at, at West Point, but he's also my, my, my classmate and, and roommate at Columbia. So the thing was is that this dude was like already had his CFA in the, like he was already taking his CFA in the military was already invested in stocks, bonds, et cetera, right? So like had maxed out the, the GMAT, you know, all, all those things. So we're interviewing for the same fellowships. The way it always went, and I'm going to be 100% honest, for some reason, that dude always got the interview before me. So like I'd walk into an interview, and they're like, oh, West Point, another one of you guys. We just talked to Andrew Glaze. He was spectacular. Omar, what do you have to say? And I... It was, you did, like, <laughs> you thought I was speaking with a heavy foreign accent, bro, because they were like, what the hell is this guy talking about, <laughs> right? You know, like, one of those times, like, well, well shoot, man, like, I, I'm not Andrew Glaze, right? I'm not, like, this finance guru, man. I'm just trying to get a, land a job here, right? Again, they, 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 thought my, they thought my military stories were cool, so it turned into, like, me telling them about, like, the battle of Samoa or some other random battle. But what it did not turn into was a fellowship, right? It turned into a thank you for your service. See you around, buddy. And, you know, Blaze got all the fellowships. He got the choose one he wanted, and, and he did that. But I had some other fellowships I applied to. Uh, and then I got selected, actually, for the Felberg Fellowship. So it was Columbia Business School's own fellowship program. And they select, like, five people a year now. Initially, they selected three. 
So I was able to interview and win that fellowship, which ended up being a, uh, a full ride uh, for me to Columbia Business School, right? So there is a silver lining. It's a fellowship, which means there's a network. And, and, and the fellowship grows every year in, in, in terms of people. I give money back to that now, um, you know, for, for the fellows. And so it's really turned into like a, a, you know, a great community where you can be as involved as much or as less as you want to. Uh, but again, like I, 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 I make it a habit to stay like financial with that thing. Would you say generally like things like the GMAT and certain business school things will follow you through the rest of your career? Or is that kind of like limited? Like if you're not this fellow or a Baker scholar or this percentile on your GMAT, does that matter after, after B score, after your initial career stuff? I mean, it doesn't matter, matter. But like if you maxed out the GMAT, and then, like, you took some program at Columbia where, like, you were the top one, you know, top percentile of, like, finance people when you were in this program, you put that on your resume. Most of these people went to business school, right, at least in the finance sector. Uh, and when they see, like, you got a 760, 800, like, GMAT, they're like, wow. Like, at that point, they don't see black. They don't see military. They see smart as hell, right? And so, like. Like to to walk into the interview and be labeled smart as hell, like that's a strategic advantage as opposed to walking into the interview has like, yeah, this brother, he went to Columbia. I think he's smart, but let's just see what he has to say. Mm, So automatic cloud walking through the door. That makes sense. That's right. But it's the same thing we we talked about with like, you know, getting the CPA or the CFA or, or other like certifications, right? When that's on your resume, it speaks volumes like, Hey, like, I wish somebody would ask me an accountant question during the interview, right? Because I would turn it back and ask them an accountant question. <laughs> Dude, I have a designation, bro. Like, you tell me about accounting. I know about accounting, right? And so I'm not afraid to go off into some really deep-rooted accounting answer and then say, what do you think about that? And so along those lines, kind of looking back at your path, not only a transition, but also your path towards executive leadership, if you had to do it again, is there anything that you would change? Whether it's the assignments that you took, certifications you went after, where you went to school, any of that, would you would you change any of that or do it better? I mean, listen, there's all so so my my personal journey, would I change anything? No. Because like there were some bad times and there were some really, really good times. And the really, really good times for sure, like outweigh the bad times, like for sure. And so like, you know, you you, you learn to grow. So for my own path, like I, I wouldn't change that. For like, you know, the, the, the younger um, folks that are, that, are, that are coming up, what I would say is like, you know, have a clear picture of what it is that you wanna do at least like uh, initially, right? And, you know, stick to stick to the script, right? I don't know if I, maybe it's because like the market was just so bad when I first started out. Like I didn't have the um, the ability to really do that, so I, I had to I had to be able to like make moves to um, you know wherever. But like stick to your script, hone your skill set, and then figure out you know what the what the next best move is for, for you, right? Don't don't hop on the uh, the first train out of town and some more general advice that i would i would give is like you know like we like 
African American, like we don't, we're not, we don't stay in corporate America for, for that long, right? Like a 10-year run, that's a long time. Like a 15-year run is a really long time. And and the reason why is because, like, again, we all think we're gonna be CEO. We ain't all gonna be CEO. And so what do we do? We say, oh man, I'm gonna leave this nice paying corporate job to go start my own thing, right? And I and look, I love entrepreneurs, right? They're they're the blood of the uh, US and global economy. Love them. Thing is, though, is that, you know, like 90% of them fail, probably more, but I'm going to go at 90%. So, like, if you don't have a really good strategic plan and have really good, like, financial backing and, like, know what the hell it is you're selling, and it needs to be something, like, people want or they don't know they want it, right? Or, I'm sorry, something people need or don't know they need it, right? Because if they only want it, in times of recession, you're out of business, right? It's just that that's just how that's just how it goes, right? Um, like I like I, I definitely I applaud entrepreneurs, but like everybody can't be an entrepreneur, everybody can't be uh, a, a CEO. And look, it looks cool on your LinkedIn posts, like it looks really cool on your business cards, it looks cool to talk to your friends about it. But then when you look at your bank statement, you're like, well. That ain't that cool. <laughs> like, you know, like that's that, that's that, that's not that cool. But I, I give another negative advice too. It's not necessarily how much you earn, it's how much you keep, right? How much are you keeping? Like, are you fully in your company's 401k plan if they're matching, right? Are you paying yourself first uh, every month and storing that away? Here's the deal I, I am not the top executive that I know about by far, right? I'm probably somewhere in like the 65th percentile, like like if that. But I earn and I keep. And like, that's that's my secret. So I don't have to walk into the job and be like worried about firing. If somebody fire me, fire me. I'm still going to eat for a long time and I'll find the next job eventually, right? Or I won't. Okay, I don't. Right? So like, I just say, you know, keep that in mind and like, don't, don't dump your life savings, et cetera, trying to chase some dream, right? Use somebody else's money to fund that. <laughs> like, I, you know, like I, I just, that's just my, my, my advice, right? And you can, you can take it or leave it, but you know, it's, it's worked for me. No, I'll get nuggets, right? So make sure that you're, you're, you're keeping some of that money. To making sure that you're choosing the right opportunity. Don't like be desperate. And then kind of from there, since we're kind of entering this interesting macroeconomic point where comes doing a lot of layoffs, economy slowing down, how would you recommend veterans that are transitioning or looking at their next opportunity? How did you think about this in 07, 09 and like helpful nuggets for navigating it now? Yeah, I mean, you know, depending on your level, right? So, so like, depending on where you are in your training. So, like, if you're like a, a, you know, junior officer and you're like just starting to enter, I would say like, stay hot with the conferences because like the people that come with, to the conferences are the ones that are actually hiring, right? So you need to you need to go where people are still hiring at, right? If you work in in, in and especially like if you work in technology and operations, like, listen, like the 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 the, the, the big tech companies are, are, are laying off and, and, and they're keeping the cream. Guess what, man, or one man, you might have to take a job where you need to go to the office three to five days a week 
And you know what? That's okay. <laughs> like, it's okay. You're going to be all right. You're going to be all right swiping that badge in. I was in the office five days a week. You know, I go five. I don't have to even be there. I'm just there because it's like I'm the diversity guy, right? I need to be there, like, you know, talking to people. But, like, it's okay to return to an office. Like, it's not going to, it hasn't, it hasn't, it's it's not going to wreck your life. In fact, it might help you because, like, you might run into some, like, exact, like, you didn't even know. And then you might start chopping it up with them. And next thing you know, like, you're one of the favorite people and you're top of mind for, like, the next big thing. But I, I went down another path there. So let me, let me run it back, roll it back. So, like, go to conferences, right? If you're, like, have been in the field, like, for a while, um, then just really, um, you know, be strategic about like what it is you want to do next. And like, if you feel like the ax is coming for you, then, you know, you can, you can wait for the ax to come. Like right? maybe you, maybe you've been there for a while. You want to get your severance. So yeah, I mean, let the, let the ax hit you and get your severance. But at the same time, you're waiting for that ax, like, start networking and, and figure out what, what's that next, you know, job or career you you might want to get into. And, and, and oh, by the way, like you might find something like that's better than you have now. And you'll be amazed that like, wow, like I, I, I didn't even know I was qualified for this, but they just offered me this job. You know, I mean, one of my biggest influencers and in that was like President Trump. Like this guy was like so unqualified, but he went for it and he got it. And I said, wow. I should start going for stuff that I have no business getting, right? Not that I'm a, a Trump guy or even talking politics, but like you see a lot of that now where people getting jobs, man, they ain't qualified for it, right? But like in most times, like the, the most qualified person is busy off, you know, doing something else. And so somebody's needed. So why, so I say, why not you? Yeah, that's true. Right. Don't don't disqualify yourself. Let the recruiters do that or whoever. Right. Don't disqualify yourself, man. Like you just you might have something that they really, really want and you didn't even know it. I think the other piece, right? So how did you really learn how to tell your story? Right. Often if you only have a network of, let's say, army folks or service academy folks or veterans, the things you tell us were like, oh, I was a PL doing X, Y, and Z. How do you learn not only how to translate that story, but also make sure you're hitting the right key points and value propositions for the roles you're going into. Yeah, I mean, so 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 here's the deal, right? Like every company has a lot of managers. There's a lot of managers out there. Every company don't have a lot of leaders. Very few leaders out there, right? I mean, even in the army there's very few leaders. Like I'm gonna be real with you, like, you know, at least from my little short stint in the army, like there's not a lot of leaders out there. Right. So like your, your value proposition has to be that you bring leadership, some form of organization, and that you have the ability to listen and execute. You know, with, with, with my team, like I, I've had big teams, I've had small teams. Right now, my team is not very big, right? It's a handful of folks. And, you know, like I'm, I'm honest in like what we need to, to deliver. But I'm also honest with saying, hey, like, what do you want to be in the next, you know, three to five years? Like, where do you see yourself at? And like, we have those honest discussions and we start painting like what that career path is going to be, or if they should probably exit my team and go do something else, which look, there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't like, it, it'll hurt me in the short run, but in the long run, 
I'm going to go hire somebody else that's more fit into what I want to do. And they're going to be in a better position to like feed their family. So, I mean, open, honest, just being a leader, not taking things, you know, personal. And so kind of some of the final points that I have, uh, we kind of talked about your journey, things that you would change, not too much. Can you talk a little about like where you're trying to go and kind of mapping that path? Because kind of once you get to the stratosphere, how does that process look different from kind of when you're just starting out at the military? Most of these jobs, like at a certain level, you can you can say you want to do it, but somebody's got to pick you to do it. Right. Like like when I came out, of when you come out of business school or college or straight out of the military, again, like people are coming to you to hire you. They set up booths and they say, like, hey, man, we have this analyst job, this associate job. You can literally be an analyst or associate the rest of your life just by going to these conferences. Right. They don't. No one's coming to a conference saying, hey, man, we got this executive job like the president's division. Right. Like you need a headhunter for that stuff. No, you know, number one, number two, like internally, like you need to make a name for yourself and then be selected just to interview because like the line is around the corner. Right. So like there's very little that you can affect there besides like doing a good job and trying to, you know, via doing a good job, having some mentorship, like to, to really give you honest feedback on your performance. Like you, you need an internal mentor to say, look, this is what you're doing right or wrong from my point of view. But man, to get to that next level, you need a sponsor. Like you need somebody that is, if not the CEO, like right next to that person to say, this is like the the dude or the dudette, right? Like somebody's got to say that, right? You just can't, you don't just get promoted to, to be in the C-suite. Like you just, there, there's no, there's no formula for it, right? I would say that it's, a lot of skills involved, but also like a lot of luck and right place, right time um, is also in, in involved in it. You can't just paint that that picture like this job I got now, like, trust me, like there was a there was a line around the corner for this job. But when I came to the interview, I represented, I connected it to like my skill set from today, all the way back to my skill set from being a diversity uh, admissions officer at West Point. That's crazy because like I had that job 18 years ago and, and I'm talking about points from that job 18 years ago, right? You have to be able to make that connection. But again, like you, you got to find some way to get a sponsor. And I'm going to tell you now, like most of the time that sponsor ain't going to have uh, a military background, right? They're just, they're just not going to have, there's just not, there's not a lot of military folks leading companies outside of like aerospace and defense. Like you got the seven, you got the seven eleven guy, um, you know, you have the, um, the, the other, uh, yeah, you, you have a few, but you don't have a lot. Kind of final piece. We talked to kind of about leadership. How do you adapt your leadership style, especially from an army where it's like more positional authority? maybe some information to this loose kind of cross-functional network where you have authority, but you don't really, and you kind of got to influence people. How do you kind of navigate that space that's a bit more, I guess, flat and asymmetrical compared to what we're used to? Yeah, so let's be clear, man. You don't got no authority in corporate America, right? Like, 
Like, come on. Like, like, yeah, if, if you think you got authority in corporate America, like you're fooling yourself, right? I mean, listen, we don't got no authority in corporate America, right? And I'm not speaking French, like us, like African American, like we don't have authority, right? Until you get to that point where the CEO gives you authority, then you have authority, right? The rest of us out here are like trying to navigate like th this whole thing. But even in the military, and I'll get back to your question, you don't really have like authority. Like you, you kind of, I mean, the first day you walk in, let's think back, like you're the black lieutenant, man. Like for me as a black lieutenant, you know, and a, and a, and a tank platoon, they, they, man, it, they ain't seen that before, right? They're used to like, see, like if there's a 20 year old black man, they're used to yelling at him and telling him to change the track on the tank, you know, do, do a parts layout. And uh, so when I came, and, and that's black and white soldiers. That's not, I mean, you know, like we, we're our own worst enemies too now. Let's be, let's be clear, right? So I get there and I'm like, let me figure out what makes these dudes tick. And then let me use that to try to get them to work with me and then have them teach me. And then once I become the expert and can bring some value, then they're like, okay, we can work with this dude because we know he gets his hands dirty too. Right. That that was my formula for success as a tank platoon leader, scout platoon leader, scout company XL was like, people see me get my hands dirty. They know I know what the hell I'm doing. And so now they're ready to like, you know, follow me. Same thing, corporate America, man. Like in finance, it was more of this guy's highly skilled at creating like these models. He's highly skilled at talking about uh, financials and taking like very hard financials. And then putting them into a PowerPoint slide so the execs um, can read it. I like his skill set. It can lead to me someday being in his seat. So, like, let me learn from him. So I have to do for him in order to learn from him, right? That's my requirement. You do for me, I'll teach you something. You don't do for me, I won't teach you anything. But I will help you see your next opportunity. It, it really is, like, trying to see where people play. And I'll give you another example. Sitting in, in diversity, equity, inclusion. Totally different from finance, man. Totally different. People are going to tell you what they think. Your team is going to tell you what they think in this world, okay? <laughs> like, like they're going to speak up. And you don't have to ask them. They just will. And so, like, if you're not used to that, I mean, I'm going from a team that's like, you know, traditional finance is like Caucasian, white male. Everybody knows that I'm not telling a, a secret. And it's like, you know, the boss wants X and Y, let's deliver it before the boss wants it. Diverse equity and inclusion, a lot of minorities, uh, you know, women, et cetera, uh, over here. And they know, they're like, they're going to tell you what they think. And it's fine, right? So now you need to listen and take some of it in and, like, take some of your ideas in consideration and execute it, right? But it's a total, but every job is different in terms of, like, how you need to lead. Every individual is different. That's why. As leaders, if you're not doing one-on-ones with your people weekly, you are missing a lot in terms of like what you can learn from them and how to have them better partner um, to help your career grow. Because here's the thing, in corporate America, if you can create high-performing teams, you're going to continue to rise to the organization and make a name um, you know, for yourself until you get to that point where you need to be nominated by the C-suite to do something. Uh, kind of final question. 
One, you know, is there anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to share as parting notes? So one, you're thinking about like either young West Pointers or what you would tell your daughter as she comes of age. Any kind of notes about your career, your career path, or the choices that you made? As, as far as like um, the, the young folks, man, I mean, West Point, ROTC, you know, senior enlisted, junior enlisted. I mean, what I would say is like, and this is the advice that was always given to me is just continue to push. Like, you know, be, be the best that you can be at what it is you do. So like, if you love the Army or the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines, and even the Space Force, <laughs> the Space Force in there, and even the Space Force, um, man, like if you're good at that and you love it, keep doing it, right? Keep doing it. If that's your passion, chase it. You know, it's it, it's not corporate America is not it's not sweet out here, right? Like it's not the road paved with like gold unless you're actually good at it like if you're not good at it and then you come out here you're gonna find very quickly like this isn't what you wanted to do i look at i see tons of people that leave the army as a captain and then they're back in as a captain because they're like they stay out for a year and they're like nah man i i don't like this i'm going back to the army and that's dope man that's cool like because like if you're a professional soldier look i i salute i salute those all day, right? Because I couldn't do it, right? I was I was good at it. I mean, I was solid, but I wasn't like an A player, and I knew that, right? And so I went. I wanted to go into something where I was going to be an A player. Uh, but if you're an A player in the military, dude, congrats! Like, keep doing that, right? So, 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 so. I guess to sum that up is like, don't be making your career decisions based on what the other cat is doing. Like, look at yourself figure out like what you should be doing, right? And then be a professional like that because here's the deal. You stay in the army, you do what you need to do. You make big rank, you achieve big things. You're going to get the bag anyways. I mean, you are. Like, I mean, I, I could I could name Heist Gibson, but he was already on here. So like, what I mean, like dude's a Harvard professor. Like, you know, like you, there, there's, there's a thousand ways to, 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 to get to the bag and that's your ultimate goal. And it just doesn't have to be like the corporate America route after a short military career. All great points. So imparting, like if, if our listeners kind of want to connect with you or learn more about your story, is there some way they can do that? Um, and then are there any initiatives or books or any other things that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn and Omar Radio. I get messages on there, so so message me there. I'm not really. I used to be in the social media back in the day, like not really now. I don't have. I have Facebook, and I'm on there maybe once a month or something like that. Uh, at this point, um, you know, books. You know, like I, I like I said, I, I really like the Dale Carnegie book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Um, th- there's some uh, like whatever you want to get good at. I suggest you read a book on it. So for example, I'm a, I'm a big fan of like these dummies books. And so like this, I want to learn how to do Python. So I got a book on, 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 on Python. This is when I was in tech because I wanted to be able to walk into the technology meetings and like talk about Python, right? And people were like, yeah, man, the finance guy's talking about Python. It's like, well, because I read this book, you know? And so 
uh, like accounting. Like, yes, I'm a CPA, but sometimes, man, like you go to these calls and they talk about some very technical stuff. And so you want to brush up uh, before you step into the meeting. Because again, like you may not be the expert, but like you want to be able to, to talk at the level or above the level um, that other folks are talking at. So I guess it just depends. Like if you want to learn how to trade stocks, like buy a book on trading stocks from, a, from an expert, like don't go taking your buddy's advice on picks, right? No, that makes sense. Well, we really appreciate your time, Omar. You're giving us a lot of great nuggets. And then thank you so much for all the, all the wisdom you've imparted to me over the years and to our listeners today. Yeah, again, man, I appreciate the uh, the opportunity, man. I, I hope that you uh, you grow this thing, man. You're able to, to, to take it, uh, you know, more broadly uh, down to maybe the HBCU uh, network, uh, you know, for those folks and, and veterans out there, also down to the NCO and, you know, other enlisted folks uh, as well. I think you're doing a, a great thing. It's for free. Luckily for you today, like it's 40 degrees, so I can't be on the golf course. So like, I appreciate you. <laughs> I appreciate you having me. No doubt. No doubt.